Well, let's pray, and then we'll get into 1 Thessalonians. Father, we thank you for our youth ministry. We thank you for our, our youth pastors and youth leaders, and Lord, each junior high and high school student, these fifth graders coming up, and seniors that are going to be graduating, the young adults ministry, and also the, the youth and young adults of our city, of our, of our community. And God, you love them, and you desire to, to do a work in their life. And, and so we do pray that you would raise up leaders, that you'd protect these kids, that you'd give them hope. And Lord, as we look at the gospel this morning in your word, we pray that the, the gospel would impact us afresh. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We desperately need a, a gospel movement in our country, in our community, in our culture, in our society. And as we begin the book of Thessalonians, we see that this city, Thessalonica, was a lost pagan city where Paul comes and he shares the gospel. He's only there from three weeks. We know that from Acts chapter 17. He would go into the synagogues. He would reason in the, the synagogues. And there was great persecution, but there was also some who believed and trusted the gospel. Then after three weeks, Paul's pushed out of Thessalonica, forced to go to Berea, which is 40 miles away. But a church was birthed in that time through the power of the gospel. I can't think of anything that we need more right now in our country but an explosion of the gospel. Current research shows that 47% of Americans identify themselves of having a faith community. Not necessarily a Christian faith community, but just I am part of a faith community, 47% of, of Americans. So in that 47%, you would have Muslims, you'd have Jehovah's Witness, you, you would have what we would consider not to be true followers of, of Christ. So if you begin to think about the reality of you go to the grocery store and one out of every two people that you meet doesn't have a faith community, and then out of that 47% that does have a faith community, how many are, are born-again Christians? Let's say maybe half. Only one out of every four people that you meet in this country know Christ as their Savior, and it may be less. It may be less. So what's humbling is this number has drastically decreased and goes down every year for the last 20 years. So over the last 20 years, if you just look at the graph, it's just, it's just steadily going this way and this direction. Now, that can be really discouraging. You're like, what a way to start off a Sunday morning, right? But it also can be very compelling that this is a time for us to be in love with Christ, to be engaged in his heart for the lost, to be reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ. If you always wanted to go to an unreached country, to be a missionary, you may not have to go very far. Some of the countries that we're doing missionary work in may have more reached people than the United States of America. That's, that's a real possibility. So God is equipping us to go out to love people, to share the gospel, and for us to be refreshed of what the gospel is this morning, that Jesus loves sinners it's an amazing truth about Christ that he was the friend of sinners. Jesus spent time with people that would have shocked us. 
We go, I can't believe that he's friends with that guy. I can't believe that he just had a meal with that group of people, but yet we enjoy the fact that we're sinners that are loved by Christ. We love the fact that, that Jesus loved us and died for us while we were yet sinners, that the gospel's not the ending point in our life, but it's every point in between that this morning we're, we're loved by the Lord. And God would allow us to see people differently, that he would allow us to, to see them created by God. Jesus died for them and loved them, to really care for them, to get into their lives, to serve them, and to be able to share the truth with them and share the gospel. A little bit of background on Thessalonica is it's located on the Aegean Sea, and it was the largest Roman seaport in Macedonia. So this gives you an idea of what kind of a wicked city it was. Seaport cities are not known for their morality. Major Roman road from the Orient to Rome was going through Thessalonica as well. So they have sea trade, but also land, road uh, travel. There was a large Jewish uh, synagogue in Thessalonica, but also there was many pagan religions and worshiping idols and false gods. Thessalonica continued on into history. It's a, it's a modern city today with a different name. In World War I, we had allied troops uh, there. During World War II, the Nazis came in and captured 60,000 uh, Jews and took them to concentration uh, camps. And again, the background of how this church was planted was in Acts chapter 17. The purpose for Paul writing this letter is he only got to spend a brief three weeks with this church, so he wants to write back to them and encourage them. Verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, who was Saul, a persecutor of the church, but God saved him. He understood the gospel in his life and had a heart to see the gospel transform other people's lives. Sylvanus is Silas, and Silas joined Paul when Paul and Barnabas had a division over John Mark, whether John Mark should join them. And so they ended up separating as a team and Paul picked up Silvanus, and Barnabas picked up a John Mark. And we have Timothy. Timothy, this young man, from the book of Acts, we know that his father was a Gentile, his mom was a Jew, and his faith was passed down to him through his mom and his grandma. No record of his dad having a saving faith. With Paul, you never see him traveling or doing ministry alone. He was always in relationship with other believers. And this is important for us, especially as we think about reaching out to those who don't know Christ as their Savior, for us to be plugged into relationship in, in the body. We're excited to launch a whole bunch of new connect groups come August time frame. Keep a lookout uh, for those. If you're not connected with believers, pray about getting involved in, in those groups as they, they open up in the fall. They're the church, the church of Thessalonica, the ecclesia in the Greek, which means to be called out. You're, you're called out of the world into a group of people, into the, the family of God. And Paul greets them, grace to you and peace. This was his classic greeting that you see in his letters. 
But it was more than just a casual hello. He's really praying for a fresh outpouring of God's grace in their life and peace that would come from the Father and how we need that this morning. We need God's grace. We need his peace. And it's always in this order where God's grace comes first. His unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. And then that results in peace. Peace with God and and peace of God. In verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Paul understood it was God's work in the church of Thessalonica, and he's thanking the Lord for for doing that work, and he's also being faithful to pray for the church of Thessalonica. In all of Paul's letters, he's mentioning that he's praying for the churches. Paul believed that the greatest thing that he could do for God's people is pray for them. That's how much he believed in the power of prayer. And as God's burdened your heart for the lost and believers, pray. The Lord is listening and he responds to our prayers. He's sovereign, he does what he wills and he pleases, but throughout scripture, he moves through the prayers of his people. It's God that's stirring our hearts uh, to pray. So Paul is, is praying for this church of, of Thessalonica. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and your patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. This is virtues of the church of Thessalonica. That first there was this work of faith. Now faith is trusting in Christ, trusting in his death and resurrection, putting our faith in the gospel, not working for salvation, but as we trust Christ for salvation, there are good works that result from our lives because Christ is in us. It's like throwing a rock into a pond. There's an effect. And when Jesus is thrown into our lives, when he impacts our lives, when the gospel has influenced us, there's good works that flow from our lives. Not, not perfection. Not until heaven will there be perfection, but work of faith. And then labor of love. Labor of love. Oftentimes when we think of love in our culture, we don't think of labor. This word labor actually means working or toiling to the point of weariness. It is when your flesh and your emotion would say, I'm going to give up because I don't see the results of this love that I'm putting into this person. But the church of Thessalonica, they labored in love. Their love caused them to to labor. And this is God's love. This This is unconditional love that God produces in us. If you're loving right now, and it's hard, and you're continuing in faithfulness to love, you're right where God wants you to be. This labor of love is not, well, I don't feel like loving you anymore, so I'm out of here. I gotta tell you, the feelings of love come and go. Those are emotions, but, but the commitment of love stays. And love is actually a verb. It's, it's an action word where you're saying, I'm choosing through God's power to, to commit to you and to labor in love for you. Aren't you thankful that God has put people in their life that labored in love for you? When we haven't necessarily been easy to get along with, when we've been sinful, and instead of abandoning us, they're like, hey, I'm sticking with you. I'm gonna continue to, to love you. That's what the church was known for, was their their labor of love. And I really like this third attribute, patient of hope. The word patience is endurance, and it's an endurance that's inspired by hope. Hope should inspire us to endure. 
Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When hope is absent from our hearts, we get discouraged. We have a, a sick heart, and it's very difficult to be able to endure. But when our heart is filled with hope, when the God of hope inspires us, we're able to endure in patience. The pain doesn't necessarily go away. The difficulty doesn't go away, but Lord, I'm going to endure because I know this is leading to heaven. Church, we are racing towards heaven. As we're going to study in First Thessalonians, the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, we're closer than any other believers prior to us to the second coming of Christ, right? Make sense? You're closer to going to heaven than you've ever been before because you're older than you've ever been before, <laughs> all right? So whether Christ returns and we're raptured or we reach our own departure date, it ends in heaven. We're gonna forever be with the Lord. We also know that God is working good in this life. He promises to work all things together for good according to his purpose, his plan. It's not, it's not my plan, but for his glory. He, he's working glory out of the pain. So through hope, then, God strengthens us to endure, to endure in hope. We continue on into verse 4. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. He encourages them, you're beloved. You're the, the beloved brethren. You're beloved. You're loved by God. You're loved by your Father. I've really enjoyed meditating on Psalms 37 uh, this week. Towards the end of the psalm, it says, the steps of a good man are ordered by God, and he delights in his way. And both of those truths have been a blessing to me to look back on my life and see how God has ordered our steps as a family, but then also that he would delight in our way. It's this loving father going, I'm going to set this all up for them, and I'm going to take joy in what I've done for them. I'm going to take joy in, in their way. So you're loved by God to the point where he created you. He sent his son to die for you. He's delighting in your way as a gracious, good father. And in fact, he chose you. I got a question for you this morning. It's, it's a little off season because we're almost into June, but think of Christmas if you knew what your Christmas gifts were, would you choose them? And there's some of them you'd be like, yes, absolutely. That was a great gift. But then we've all been there where we've opened up a Christmas gift and our face just gets the best of us. And we're like, uh, thanks, right? They're all like, I'm so sorry. That was rude. I, I should be thankful for this gift that you have just given me. Well, what's so amazing about God's election is he knows everything about us, but yet he still chose us. That's an amazing expression of his love for us. So we're elect by God. In verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. Our gospel. Why does Paul say our gospel? It sounds a little bit arrogant. But it's Paul realizing that the gospel was for him, but also the gospel was to be shared by him. 
Have we taken personal ownership of the gospel where the gospel's impacted us, but then also that we get the privilege of sharing the gospel with others? Paul said that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. He got the joy of seeing God do a work in Thessalonica as he came and preached the gospel. It's so easy for us right now as believers to get off topic. There's so many topics to tackle and those are important topics to think through and and discuss. But when we're having conversations with unbelievers, hopefully those topics are simply segues to the gospel. If I've left time with an unbeliever and I've shared my opinions with them, on current events, but I haven't shared Jesus with them, how much have I really helped them? How, how important is it that they would know Christ as, as their Savior? So we want to get to this place where we've got those gospel lenses and those gospel conversations that are uh, taking place. And so Paul says, our gospel, and it came to you not in word only, but in power. And this is what we're praying for. This is the gospel movement that God would move in, in people's lives, that it wouldn't simply be words, but, but the power of God would come into their lives and he would show them how much that he loves them and their need for salvation and the hope of, of eternal life. This is the God factor. And I believe we're seeing that happen in people's lives. We're, we're seeing people come to, to know Christ as their Savior. We're seeing God draw people unto themselves. I think the enemy would want us to believe that Jesus is not attractive to sinners, that people don't want to hear about Christ as their Savior. We've already assumed that that people don't want to hear about Jesus when God's doing a a work in their hearts and and in their lives. Acts chapter 1, it says, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, so you shall be my witnesses. To be baptized and filled with the Spirit is for the purpose of being a testimony of, of Jesus Christ in our words, but also in our actions. So you think of those in your life that don't know Christ as their Savior, and I'm sure there's a list that's coming to your heart and to your mind. Pray that the gospel would come into their life and it would move in power. The Church of Thessalonians experienced the the word of God coming into their life in power, and it resulted in much assurance. And this is the beauty of the gospel. It provides assurance of everlasting life. Jesus told us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you trust the gospel, when you trust Christ's invitation to be your Lord and Savior, you have everlasting life. It's much more secure than a reservation on VRBO. We tend to not really question hotel reservations. You make the reservation on hotel.com and you drive up and you expect your room to be there, right? But yet we tend to doubt God's promise of a reservation in heaven. Did God really mean that? Did he really know me? Of course he knows you. Was he aware of my sin? Yeah, Jesus is that great, he's that grand, and you believe in Christ. Whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. And the church of Thessalonica had assurance in their salvation because of their faith in the gospel. In verse six, 
And you become followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel influence in the church of Thessalonica. This is how the gospel, how Christ impacted their lives is, number one, they became followers. Followers of Paul, but more importantly, of the Lord. And that's God's intent. He doesn't just want us to say a prayer, have everlasting life, and that's it. He wants us to passionately follow him. Jesus came to the disciples and he said, follow me. Let me be in charge in your life. I want you to spend each and every day with me. And the church of Thessalonica were followers. And is that true in our lives? Is Jesus our master? Is he our Lord? Or are we allowing him to lead us and guide us and, and direct us to choose to be a follower of Christ? It'd be nice if this just got settled in our lives once and for all, but the truth of the matter is, is this is a daily decision to decide to follow Christ. Our flesh, our sinful flesh, is going to be alive and well even though it's Sunday. <laughs> We're going to get done worshiping the Lord, studying the Word, and go to our cars. And We're dirty, rotten sinners, aren't we? And it's going to be very easy to be selfish and to think about our own interests and agenda first and to choose, Jesus, you're good. And out of your love and grace, I, I want to follow you. Would you give me help to be able to, to follow you? But also they were receivers. They received the word in much affliction. And this is important for us when we think about being able to take the gospel out is we need a steady diet, intake, of the word of God and the word of God fills us and the word of God reminds us of who Jesus is and without being a receiver you really can't be a giver you can't give something away that you don't have my life was really changed and transformed by a fellow high school student she was receiving God's word and coming to school with her bible who, who comes to school with their bible I'd never met a peer or friend that had their own relationship going on with Jesus and she'd have verses underlined in her Bible and she'd say, hey, Eric, this is what I read this morning. She was all geeked out about it, all excited about it. And by the way, I, I went to a Christian school and I'd gone to a Christian school since preschool and I went to church all the time and I never met somebody my own age that was in love with Jesus and I wasn't in love with Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And my mind was completely blown that, man, there's something going on in her life that is definitely real. And she was receiving the word of God. And we know those times in our lives when, when the word of God is impacting us. Where we're taking time to sit and receive the word and our heart is soft and, and the power of God's word. As we receive from the Lord, then we're able to, to give. It's so important to be a, a receiver. Notice that they received the word in much affliction. Much affliction. I got a hunch that our culture might get even more hostile towards Christians. Call me a genius, I don't know. <laughs> the handwriting's on the wall, isn't it? That there's going to be more persecution or affliction that comes from receiving the word. For the church at Thessalonica, 
when they believed the gospel, when they received the word, they were persecuted. There was much affliction that came. But I also have a hunch that when the price tag gets higher to follow Christ, to receive his word, that our hearts actually might get more hungry and open to the word of God. Historically, the church does really well under opposition. The book of Acts, the church exploded through much affliction. We're living now in a time where it's not cultural to be a Christian in the United States of America. And yes, that's disappointing, but it's also really exciting. I don't know if you have discerned this, but the church of God, not just here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, but throughout the city and maybe throughout the country, is starting to wake up. We're starting to go, you know, I'm tired of being told lies. I want to know the truth. And Christians are getting hungry for the word of God again. I think we're starting to get passionate about sharing Jesus with people. We're seeing people hurting. We're seeing people lost. We're seeing them confused. And we go, well, wait a second. They they need Jesus. I want to share Christ with them. Now, I don't like suffering. I don't sign myself up for suffering. I don't wish suffering for us. But if suffering causes the church to be more alive and be more effective, I think it's worth it. What would you rather have, a comfortable church that's dead or a persecuted church that's alive and effective for Christ? In light of eternity, I think we choose the rather. Notice with the affliction also came joy. This is the God factor. How could they have joy in this affliction? God met them. We also see this true throughout the New Testament and throughout church history. So many believers that are under persecution, they actually have a tremendous amount of joy because God is meeting them in a very tangible way. In verse 7, so that you become examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So they're following, they're receiving, but number three, they're examples. And there are examples throughout the whole region. The gospel had really done an impact in their hearts and in their lives. It's lived out in their words, but it's also lived out in their actions. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, unbelievers are watching us more than we realize. One of the reasons for a godly marriage is to display Christ in the church. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that. It's a YouTube video of the gospel. Your marriage is on display of, of Christ in the church. By loving your spouse, by staying faithful in your, your marriage, in our culture, that stands out. You're being a testimony of the gospel. You're being an example of the gospel. Going to work and working hard for God's glory and being faithful to show up on time and do good work and be courteous to your, your co-workers. You're being an example of the gospel in a more powerful way than you may even realize. Being an example is not perfection. Part of us being an example of the gospel as well is, is owning, you know, I'm a sinner. And I'm still a sinner. And you know what? I, I sinned against you and would you forgive me? And Jesus, would, would you forgive me? That's part of being an example of the, the gospel as well. When we think of being godly parents or trying to be godly parents to our kids, it's not being perfect parents. 
We're setting an unrealistic expectation for them. And they see our sin. They know our sin better than anyone else. If you're not sure if I'm a sinner or not, just ask any of my four kids. They'll let you know. Right? And so when I do sin before my kids, to own it before them and say, you know, Dad is sorry. Would you forgive me for for sinning here? And God, would would you forgive me? That's an example of, of the gospel. The gospel being lived out in our, in our lives. In verse 8, for from, your, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Number four, the influence of the gospel is transmitters. Every place that they went, they sounded forth the word of God. They trumpeted the word of God. How do you think that this happened in their lives? I think it comes from a genuine excitement of how good the gospel is, of how wonderful it is that Jesus has died for our sins and rose again, and really having a love for people. Oftentimes, I think we're trying to conjure up the motivation or the strength to be able to share the gospel, but it's going to flow genuinely out of a heart of love. May God give us a love for people. If we could spend a day with Jesus, he was loving people, just loving on them, being in their lives, sharing truth with them, sharing grace with them. Sometimes we make this way too more complicated than we think to be a a transmitter of the gospel, to sound forth the gospel. A couple weeks ago, we had a, mini conference here called for such a time as this wrestling with the question in light of the times that we're living how should we respond one of the ways that we should respond is by taking the gospel out to those that don't know Christ their savior and one of the men that came and shared his name's Sean McKelvey he works for the the navigators and is a missionary that we support and he comes to RMC and he was sharing that he does all this work of discipling believers, but hadn't really shared the gospel much. Most of his time was being spent with believers, and and I can relate to that as well. Was really feeling convicted to reach out to his neighborhood. So they started with just praying consistently for their neighborhood, going on walks and praying for each house. God blessed them with a dog that walks really slow. (laughs) slowed him down slower than he would like, but used that time praying for the neighborhood. Consistent for a long period of time. And then just naturally that flowed into starting to notice. Notice who is in their neighborhood. He works from home through this COVID experience and he decided to move his desk to his front window so he could just watch and see who is in the neighborhood and start praying more specifically. This can be difficult to do because of our garage door society. Everyone's just coming in their garage doors, closing their garage doors, and so really notice, man, who's, who's in my, my neighborhood? Then to be creative and begin to invite his neighbors into different gatherings And this is something that we could take into our neighborhoods as well. I'm going to pray for my neighborhood. I'm going to notice what's going on in my neighborhood. And then I'm going to start 
looking for a creative invite. It might be have a driveway dessert party. It's kind of intimidating going into your neighbor's house. I don't know if I want to go to my neighbor's house. My neighbors aren't really sure if they want to come into my house. Hey, but bring a chair, come onto the driveway, bring a dessert. Let's get to know each other. Begin to ask questions. Jesus was really good at at asking questions. Be in relationship with with our neighbors. Remember, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and, and the Holy Spirit may give you unique ways of how to be able to reach out to neighbors. It it may be one specific neighbor, but inviting them into relationship and then looking for an opportunity to proclaim and and share the gospel. That may not be it at all, but to have intentionality with sharing the gospel, of taking the gospel out to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Continuing in verse 8, your faith toward God has gone out so that we need not say anything. What a great testimony that our faith towards God has gone out. Verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is a great trade, a wonderful trade. I grew up trading baseball cards. My brother and I had had baseball card uh, collections, and sometimes you'd get to sucker one of your friends. And you really were on the good side of the trade, on the beneficial side of the trade. And to take an idol that dominated your life, that can't speak, that can't hear, that can't listen, that can't save, turn away from that idol to the living God who died for your sins and rose again and is present in your life. And that's what they experienced. They, they experienced God bringing them out of idolatry into a true relationship. In verse 10, and wait For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And Paul uses this as his theme for the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll really dig into this in chapters 4 and 5. But he says, you're waiting for Jesus to return. Jesus ascended to be with the Father on the Mount of Olives, and he promised he's going to descend on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is returning, and we're waiting for his return. Church, please remember that Christ is going to come back, and he's going to make everything right. What everything, all of the tension and turmoil that's happening in the world, it's all leading to Christ coming back. He is going to come back. He's going to plant his feet on Mount of Olives. He's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem and how wonderful that's going to be. And Jesus told us to to live in expectation of his second coming, to, to wait and look and long for his return. And it's not a passive waiting, but it's an active waiting. If we really believe that Christ is going to return, that that's the culmination of all things, how much more so do we want people to know Christ as their Savior? So this morning... I don't want this to be a a heavy trip where it's like, man, I need to be sharing the gospel. I'll I'll confess to you, I wish I shared the gospel outside of this place a whole lot more than I do. I want God to move in my life to to take the gospel out more to to unbelievers. Where I think that this gospel movement is going to happen in our hearts and our lives is when we get excited about the gospel again. When we look at our lives and go, oh man, it's so good that I'm loved by God. 
It's so wonderful that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. It's so wonderful that all of my sins are forgiven. No matter what kind of junk is going on in your life, isn't it nice to know your sins are forgiven? Isn't it wonderful to know that you have eternal life? You go, wow, this really is good news. I want to share this with people. Man, this person looks so bummed out at the, at the grocery store. I want to take some time to get in their life. Okay, God has placed me in this neighborhood for a strategic reason. I'm not just here for my own comfort or refuge. So God, help me see my neighbors and begin to reach out with them in the gospel. All right, Lord, you've put my kids in these schools. I work in, in this place. Here's opportunities to, to share the gospel. I, I'm in this family, and I've shared with these family members, but I want to continue praying for them to see God do a work. 